Our trust is in the name of the Lord who we turn to now to teach us from His Word. So go back with me to the book of Galatians and let's look at um, this defense of Paul. The Apostle Paul defending himself against the Judaizers. And we've talked about this as I've set it up over the past few weeks. And we get to the meat here in which Paul is basically making a defense. And we're going to talk about that defense here this morning. What is it that Paul is doing? Paul is defending himself against those who are challenging not Paul as much as what Paul is teaching. They are attacking the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember when I went to, I shouldn't say I remember because it's in my notes. I was told not to say that. You don't remember it if it's in your notes. There was a time I went to uh, Marine Corps OCS and I was working there as a chaplain candidate. And I, I, I never forget this one major as I sat down in, in the department head meeting and I sat next to him. He kind of was giving me the stink eye, right? He's kind of looking at me like, oh, another chaplain. Okay, great. So as I sit next to him, he leans over to me and he says, I'm an atheist. And I leaned back and said, okay. I wasn't sure where he was going with this. So I go back to the office and I ask uh, someone about him and, and say, what, what is his story? What's going on here? And he says, oh, it's just what he does. He, he, he really doesn't like chaplains, so he's going to try and get your goat. Okay. So let's see how this works. So we go to the next meeting, and sure enough, he's there. And so rather than avoiding him, I go and find a seat next to him, and I cuddle up next to him and get real close. And he looks at me again with a stink eye. And I said, I hear you don't like chaplains. So he pulls his knife out of his pocket and opens it up and says, no, I don't. So I pull out my knife out of my pocket, open it up, and says, I don't either. And he closes his knife and smiles, as any Marine major can do, kind of smiles, just enough to know that something changed in our relationship. Two days later, I was singing happy birthday with this guy as I brought a cake in to celebrate his birthday. A month later, I was running obstacle courses with him, and he was calling me, asking me if I would be involved with his Marines and whatever they were doing. Now, I don't tell you this story to say, ooh, look, I'm a good chaplain, I can get in anywhere. No, I was absolutely amazed to see what God has done in that relationship. And this man claiming to be an atheist was trying to draw Pushed me away. He was trying to bring a wall in between us so that, so that he wasn't faced with any challenging questions about his own faith. In other words, he was so resistant to the gospel that he started off letting me know that he was resistant to the gospel. Now, how do we respond to that? That's my concern this morning. See, some of us say, well, well, let's just go lock ourselves in our office or lock ourselves in the church and let's just start a monastery and, and all become monks so that we are secluded from the world. 
Or maybe we think that we need to fight. Well, you know what? I'm going to prove my point to this guy, and I'm going to show him that I'm right. And I'm going to do it with love. Watch this. And we put our dukes up and get ready to start fighting, don't we? Well, by the way, usually a Marine major, his love language is, is fights anyway. So it's, it, fighting is, is not, it is an option. It's on the table. But the point is, you have a man who is resistant to the gospel. Now, I can take offense to that and say, well, it must be me. Maybe he doesn't like my haircut or he doesn't like uh, my uniform or he doesn't think I'm strong enough to keep up with him or whatever. I can... I can speculate all kinds of things, but the reality is we need to be very aware that when we stand for God, when we stand for what is right, and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which we've been talking about for the past two weeks, remember, I told you the gospel can be summed up in two words, grace and peace. So if you go around talking about grace and peace, then you're going to run up against those that are opposed to the gospel message. And then you're going to have those that we talked about last week where you're going to misapply the gospel. They're not going to understand it. They're going to think that you're some weird fundamentalist. Uh, You're just a Jesus freak, right? You're just one who uh, has this religious bent that is good for you, but it's not necessarily good for me. But either way, the point is that as you proclaim the gospel, as you share the gospel, as you start to live the gospel, however you want to put it, right? The gospel is a message, but as you share, you speak the gospel, or you remind people in very gentle ways that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, however you may do that, you are going to find opposition. And it is not our job to get defensive. Let me explain. Isn't it Jesus who reminds us in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek? Isn't it Jesus who says, hey, listen, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other side. Let them slap that cheek also. So how then should we respond to such opposition? We could look at this passage this morning and we say, well, Paul created this whole defense for himself so that everybody knew he was an apostle. That might be one way to look at this. Paul was establishing, and he is in a secondary way, establishing his apostleship. We talked about that last week. If you missed it, you can go back and listen. I'm not going to preach it again. But the point here is Paul is defending not himself so much as he's defending the gospel that he is preaching. That's an important distinction. Because when we are faced with having to be uh, in our own heart, in our own mind, defensive, we have to ask ourselves, then what are we defending against? Why are we combative? Why are we trying to um, counter whatever charge is being brought against us? So let me speak to a couple of principles of faith this morning. The first one is don't be lulled into the fact that you, you, you're not going to be attacked. If you are preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel, and if we as a church center our, all of our ministries around preaching and teaching the gospel, guess what? We're going to be attacked. Why? Because Satan doesn't like the spreading of the gospel. What's the point of the kingdom? The kingdom of God is the spreading of God's word. It's the growing of the family. It's a, 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 through faith, people coming into the church. And when that gospel message becomes center, 
When you say that the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ's his death, his burial, and resurrection, then you will have opposition. We see this all the way back in Genesis 3, don't we? The seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. And that there is a, a, a continual good, uh, good force, if you will, and a bad force that are in opposition. Two polar opposites. One is for the spread of the gospel, that which Paul is uh, outdoing for all these years, outspreading the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Judaizers step up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? That's not the gospel. Paul isn't, again, defending himself so much as he's defending his apostleship so that he might then defend the gospel. And that's important that we as Christians, if we say and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared. Satan will attack. We will find ourselves standing with opposition. They will come against you. It's a way of life for the Christian. Now, how do we respond? First of all, let me share with you what characteristics I think you may see these um, attacks. Let me put it a different way. Let me share with you the different ways that these attacks might manifest themselves in your own life. Because Paul does that in these verses. Maybe you didn't catch it. Let's go back and look. Look at verse 13. Paul says, verse 12, For I did not receive it from any man, talking about the gospel, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. One way that we may experience Satan's attack is an attack on our character. Paul's character is being attacked. When I first thought about this, I thought, well, it was his reputation. But I don't think that really captures what's going on here. It's really his character. Maybe even more so, his office. There they're addressing Paul as one who was a persecutor of the church. He says, for you have heard of my former life. Well, isn't that an awesome distinction? That there is a former life? That when the gospel it comes into your life, there is this former or old self and new self. There is a transformation. One of the things that I'm enamored with right now is how often we are not enamored with the power of the gospel. We think it may be just a mere message about Jesus Christ. But the gospel actually has a transforming power. That the words of Christ actually, that they change us from an old creature to a new creature. Paul talks about this. I remember reading one author, and I do remember this, it's not in my notes. Um, I remember reading one author who says, you know, he was enamored by the church, the lack of faith in church because they didn't believe in the transforming power. Because God, God can do whatever he wants to do with the gospel, and it does change lives. But he said he had two special needs daughters who the church would often tell him that they were beyond the gospel. That the gospel couldn't transform them because it was chemical or it was physiological or it was something beyond the scope of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we don't believe that. 
That's not the gospel. If that's your gospel, then you're in the wrong place. The gospel actually does transform. And it should have transformed us. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe somebody now looks at you and says, hey, you're not who you used to be. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Right? If you're you're like me, one who loved to sin, one who didn't really care about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and then the gospel comes in, and now the Holy Spirit giving you this faith, you have faith in Jesus Christ, you want to be more like Christ, you don't want to be like your old self. And so you should be attacked in your character. Someone should, who you used to hang out with and run around with, should look at you and say, something's different. And you should say, amen, praise God. So you may be attacked in your character. Paul was attacked. He says, listen, I used to persecute the church. I was the one out trying to destroy the church. You see that? He didn't say just mess with it, destroy it. You are either for the gospel and the spread of the gospel, or you are, as we say in the South, again it. You, you are, my, Yan- my Yankee friends are getting it. You, you are against it. Now, if you're for the gospel, then you're going to have this transformation. Well, you can say it the other way. If you have this transformation, you're for the gospel and the spreading of the gospel. So how do you know if you're defending yourself, your own character, or this new life, right? So then the question is, so if if I'm defensive because someone is attacking me, am I defensive because I'm trying to save my reputation, my old self, or the new self? See, that's really what's going on here. Remember Peter in Acts 3? He stands up and he says, listen, what shall we say? You tell us we can't preach the gospel. What should I do? We have to obey God rather than man. Well, isn't that what Paul said? Go back to verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, you're either one or the other. And when you're a servant of Christ... You are obeying God rather than man. Think of Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Story of rebellion or boldness. Standing for God's truth against the opposition. God's people will be attacked. It may be on our character. It may be on your character. But then you must ask yourself, am I... Obeying man? Or am I obeying God? See, Paul here is giving us a great example of obeying God. He's not defending his reputation. He's not defending his character for character's sake. He's defending his apostleship for the gospel's sake. But not only will it, may there be an attack on our character, there also may be an attack on our zeal or passion. Look at verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism, being many, beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. He says, listen, I was a good Jew. I was obedient. I was zealous for the traditions of my father. 
I wanted whatever they handed down to be my new religion. This would be the law and making sure that they followed the law. This is why Paul was trying to destroy the church because the church was giving a new message, the gospel message, that was outside of the law or beyond the law, talking about it being fulfilled by Christ. It's what Paul is dealing with here in this situation as well. So Paul's zeal, his passion, he was trying to destroy the church, but yet when he met Jesus, the gospel, uh, in the words of Christ, the gospel message had an impact on his heart. What happens? He now has a zeal for the things of God. He now loves the things that Jesus loves. He loves the church. Paul's zeal now and everything that he writes is for the love of the church, the love of Christ and his church. How many times do, do we read an epistle that is written to a church or churches? Why? That is the manifestation of Christ on earth, the church, God's people. And so he is writing because his zeal, his passion is now for the things, the people that God loves, you and me. And I thank him for that. I'm so glad that, that Paul was chosen to be an apostle to pass down the gospel, to write on these things that we may discuss them and apply them to our life. But when the gospel truly is applied correctly, not like last week when it's misapplied, but applied correctly like, like we're saying this week, and we understand it, we will have not only a transformation of character, we'll have a transformation of our zeal and passion. The things that we used to love to do, they pass. We now love and have a passion for the things that God loves. And hopefully that's His church. Your church. What are your passions? Are they the things of the world? Are they the things that bring you earthly joy? Temporal joy? Happiness? Or are they the things of God? Is the gospel important to you? Is the message that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, something that is prioritized highly in your life. Another way that you may be attacked is in your status. Look at verse 15. Different than character, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. What's going on here? Paul basically has a change in his status. He goes from being an enemy of God, destroying the church, to becoming an adopted son of God. His status changes because of the gospel that he is now preaching. This is extremely important. Paul is not defending himself. He's defending the gospel. And what he's saying here is that my status with God has changed. Once one who sought to destroy the church, stop the spread of the gospel, I now stand on the other side and am going to the unknown regions where they have not even heard of me, nevertheless the gospel. And I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2. 10 through 12. Peter remind, uh, reminds us and agrees with Paul here. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Very similar to what Paul is saying here. That God has us in this situation and we are being attacked and our response then is either going to end up glorifying God or glorifying ourselves. We once were not a people of God. Imagine Paul above all people understood this. I was once not only not a person of God, I was destroying the people of God. Yet now he is no longer an enemy, but an adopted son. What is adoption? Well, in the biblical context, and because we have it all thought out for us in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 34, it has an answer. It says, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Paul was now included in the family. And if you're not viewing yourself and the person sitting to your left and your right, and in the pew next to you at part of this church, as adopted into the family, then we're missing the point. We are removed from being an enemy of God to now being a part of the family. I cannot think of two, two more polar opposites, two more extremes. It's not as if you were just on the fringe, right? You have your Fab Five that you might call, and then you got number six is hanging out here, right? He's on your, he or she's on your cell phone, your speed dial, but they're really not in the circle. That's not how it works. You were an enemy of God brought into the family. How many of you have brought, and don't answer this, enemies into your own families? It's almost unheard of, isn't it? Do we see ourselves as actual sons and daughters of God? Brought into the family? Worshiping? Same spirit? Same Lord? One Lord, one faith, one baptism? We should. Status change. But you may also see an attack on your speech. Verse 16. Let me back up. But 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might, what? Preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's response to this marvelous grace of God, this salvation, being part of the elect, brought into the covenant community, adopted into the family, his response is to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Now, I, we're going to have a hard time with this because a lot of us are going to go, well, he's a, he was a preacher. I'm not a preacher. So I'm having a hard time drawing a correlation here. What's, what's in it for me? That's your job up there. No. The point here is that his speech changes. He goes from being against the gospel to being for the gospel, and he's speaking it. He's sharing that with folks. He's talking about it. You know, I don't know about you, but isn't there a direct correlation 
to what we talk about often and what we love? I think there is. Or what we don't love. Depends on how you talk about it. We spend a lot of time and energy thinking on things. Our speech, our, 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 the way we talk, what we talk about is going to change. Paul, I see, changed his sermons, if you will, from destroying the church to now preaching in the synagogue, preaching in the temple, sharing the, the free offer of the gospel, what it meant to have faith in Jesus Christ. He was being scrutinized. People were sitting in the, or standing, whatever they were doing in the synagogue, and they were going, no, 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 that's not right. He left out the law. What? No, 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 that's not what we believe. So here's Paul preaching faithfully the gospel, running into opposition in his speech. You probably have a ton of illustrations in your own life, don't you? You may say something you truly believe and you know is doctrine because you heard it in Sunday school, you heard it in the sermon, and you go to a co-worker and you say, well, yeah, and you don't really say the Bible says, you just say it because you believe it. And they kind of look at you weird, don't they? Kind of catch them off guard. They're like, where'd that come from? Or they may even say, oh, you're one of those fundamentalists, aren't you? Oh, you, you must be a Christian. Ever heard that? You must be a Christian, as if it's a bad thing. That's the opposition I'm talking about. And our tendency then is to fight back. Our tendency is to say, well, you know what? You're just wrong. Let me tell you why you're wrong. Because the Bible says, guess what? You lost them. They don't care. If they're an enemy of God, they don't care what the Bible says. And so you may be challenged in your speech. You may be challenged in the way that you think, the way that you vote, the way that you operate in the world. You're not a miser. You're not one who takes from the company. You're one who is faithful and obedient. And you may be chastised. Your speech, the way you talk, will be attacked. Put it a different way. You can't say that. That's offensive. You ever heard that? Oh, you don't really believe that, do you? Of course we do. It's in the Bible. Oh, but that's just, this is a new day. You can't say those things. We live in an age of everyone being offended. So, if you are going to share the gospel, you will offend. Lastly, you may have an attack on your path. Your path or, or your, your choices. Let me put it that way. Verse 17. Paul says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And he goes on. What's Paul doing here in his travel plans? He's showing, listen, I didn't go up to hear the gospel of the apostles. I already had the gospel from Jesus Christ directly. So the gospel that I have comes from Christ, not learned from any man. Now, why is this important? Well, Paul is basically saying, the choices that I make are not my own. A servant of Christ, I am doing what he told me to do. What did he tell them to do when he was converted? To go to the Gentiles, right? To don't, don't stay here in Jerusalem. Go. I've got a whole other job for you, Paul. And so Paul goes. And here the Judaizers are saying, 
but, but you were supposed to go to the apostles and get approval first here, Paul. You, you were supposed to check in at the, hall, at the home office before you left out. You, did, did, you get a, did you get somebody to sign off on that, Paul? And the answer is, Paul's like, no, I, Jesus sent me, right? I don't need someone to sign off. You know, our choices may come under attack. You know, if we, if we live out our theology, if we believe a certain way and we practice that certain way, you know, most of us are going to be uh, pro-lifers. We're going to believe in uh, purity, chastity. We're going to believe in certain things that are going to have a social impact. How we vote, how we speak, what we do in, in the world. Yet when we do that, we immediately receive opposition, don't we? You will be chastised for the choices you make. You will be looked down upon. You will be talked about. You will be attacked. If you're not in the South and you're a pro-lifer, you will be attacked. And then say you're a Christian pro-lifer. You're really going to be attacked. You're going to be attacked in your vocations. You're going to be the guy who's squeaky clean or gal. No, everybody else gets off 30 minutes early and doesn't tell the boss, and it's okay. Everybody does it. No, no, no. I, I'm doing all things to the glory of God. What? You're going to get us in trouble, you wacko. No, no. I, this is my vocation. This is my calling. I have a different way of, well, you're on your own because we're all out. Oh, by the way, do my work too. Because we operate differently. and We're going to find ourselves attacked in different ways. Our vocations. It's not all pastors and missionaries. Those are tough enough. And we should be lifting them up in prayer. They have a specific calling. But in our own vocations, we have ways of sharing the gospel and being faithful to the gospel and who we are as servants in this world without contradiction, without compromise. And when that happens, you will be attacked. I love A.W. Tozer, how he puts it in pursuit of God. He says, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. When you have made up your mind to do things to the glory of God, and you practice that, you may be attacked. Because the world doesn't like that. Those who are in opposition to the gospel, who don't know, who are enemies of God, are going to find ways to thwart your moral and ethical high road. In your life, are you making decisions that seek to glorify God? Because at the end of the day, look at verse 24, at the end of this passage in closing here. Paul tells them all of this, and he says, verse 23, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us now is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul is saying and defending and doing what he's doing, defending the gospel so that God may be glorified. That's the end state. That God may be glorified. Folks, that's why we 
do what we do. And when we do that, whatever that is, there will be opposition. Our job is much like we read in Mark 4 this week in men's Bible study. Spreading the seed, the word going out. And we don't know where it's going to land. We don't know which heart it's going to take. That's God's business. We don't, we don't really care, if I can put it that way. It's not our concern. All we know is that sometimes it sticks. And that sometimes somebody's going to be transformed. Yeah, I'm going to be attacked. But God may use that so that someone may come to faith in Him. So He may be glorified. See, we don't share the gospel to grow a kingdom. We share the gospel so that God is glorified. Last story. When I was with the Marines in Camp Pendleton, I had a colonel. I remember the very first time he called me in the office. He just got there, brand new colonel. He's my boss. He calls me in, and I go in, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know it's good to meet you, but I have absolutely zero faith in the chaplain corps. I thought, another one? Come on. What is my path in life? What is going on? And so I'm like, okay, sir, great. You don't like me. Got it. He said, well, I didn't, I didn't say that. I just don't have any faith in chaplain corps. I said, okay, well, let's see how it goes. Let's spend time together. Let's deploy together. Let's work together. And let's see if that changes. Okay. This man was an LDS, Latter-day Saint, a Mormon. Not only was he a Mormon, but he was a Mormon who was an elder in the church. And so he knew what he believed, and he was teaching others. And he thought it was his calling to do so. And so we're already starting off on wrong foot. But over the years, I was able to have conversations with this man. And all I did was share the gospel, share the truth. I didn't talk about Reformed theology. I didn't talk about the four different views of whatever. I, I basically said, Jesus is the way and here's why we believe it. And I gave him an opportunity to share, and a very knowledgeable man share why he believed what he believed in opposition. And then we went out and got work done and did what we were supposed to do. Now, I wish I could tell you that this man became a Christian. I don't know that. It's not my job to worry about that. My job, though, was not to defend myself in that situation. My job was to share the gospel. To be bold. To talk about Jesus. To share with him why Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And why I believe that. To agree to disagree. To defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that God may be glorified. You will be attacked but in all that, my prayer for each and every one of us is that God will be glorified through sticking to the gospel message, through sharing the gospel message, making that our central core belief. 
And I guarantee you, when we do that, he'll be glorified. He will. He will. He will turn sinners into saints. And his name will be praised in all the earth. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord. We praise you, your holy name for this gift of salvation, for your glory. We are opposed. We may be attacked. We may have to not defend ourselves, but to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do so in love. To do so above board. And Lord, we do this not so that we look good in the end, but so you receive glory and honor and praise. Lord, transform our hearts continually again with your gospel. Even today, may we change. May we love you more. May we love your word more. May we love our neighbor more as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.